Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church again. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. And as Pastor Brick just shared, we are two weeks out from the season of Lent. And so in preparation for that season and during that season, we're going to be in this series that we are calling The Good Life. And each week, you are going to see kind of this statement that we have created that comes from what Jesus tells us. And so today, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And really, you think about that, I think what Jesus is getting at is life is good when you're poor. Life is good when you are poor. Now, let me ask you a question because I share that and I bet all of us, including myself, are thinking, no, 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 that can't be right. That cannot be true. Jesus cannot be saying that. Here's the question I want you to think about. What is your vision of the good life? That if you could sit back and you could define for yourself what the good life is, you would say that is the good life. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been asking people this, and I've gotten a lot of different responses about the good life. Some people have been like, listen, if I'm healthy and all of my needs are met, that is the good life. Someone else told me that if they could pick up all of their stuff and travel at any particular time, anywhere and anytime, that's the good life. You might be thinking about our culture and what people think about the good life, that life is good when you have that particular career, or if you had that relationship, or if you had that thing, that's the good life. But what Jesus says is the good life begins when you are poor. Life is good when you're poor. And we're going to look at what Jesus says today. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down. Here's kind of the the main idea that I want you to wrap your mind around. Life is good for the poor because we recognize our spiritual poverty and our absolute dependence upon God. One more time, life is good for the poor because we recognize our spiritual poverty. Everybody say poverty. And our absolute dependence, say dependence, upon God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven. Now, in order to understand not only this beatitude, which by the way, that word beatitude is just comes from the Latin word that we get blessed from, in order to understand what Jesus is saying in this entire part of the Sermon on the Mount, we have to understand first what does it mean to be blessed? What is blessing. And really, here's the question that we get at is, are you blessed? 
Let me begin by saying this. This is what blessedness is not. Number one, blessedness is not a checklist of do's and don'ts to receive God's favor. Jesus is not saying in these lists of beatitudes, hey, if you do this, God will love you more. If you don't do this, God will love you more. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not a checklist of do's and don'ts. It's also not a list of entrance requirements to get into the kingdom. Where Jesus is saying, listen, you have to have this, 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 and if you have those, the kingdom of God is yours. These are not conditional statements. Conditional statement is if, da-da-da-da-da, then, da-da-da-da-da. That's not what Jesus is getting at. It is a because statement. You could read it like this, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have to be reminded that God's favor and his kingdom are only received by grace through faith in Jesus. God's favor and his kingdom are only received by grace through faith in Jesus. Nothing I do, nothing you do can earn God's favor and receive God's grace. It's a gift. So they're not a checklist of do's and don'ts. It's not entrance requirements. It's not also guaranteed financial provision or excess. And everybody did not say amen, right? (laughs) Like, man, if Jesus was saying that, wouldn't that be awesome if we had this like this secret code that we could decipher and then we could have everything that we need, right? Jesus isn't even saying that. It's none of those things. So if it's not all of those things, what is it? There's really two things underneath Jesus using that word blessed. Number one, it is an eschatological reversal. Everybody, let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Eschatological, right? Eschatological. What does that word mean? Eschatological means end time. Now, I know, before you jump to thinking about left behind and thinking about how the coronavirus and those sorts of things are tied to the book of Revelation, let me stop you, right? When the Bible uses the word eschatological, it's not always referring to the end, end times, but it is referring to the end times. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus, in his first coming, inaugurated or began the kingdom of God. And what Jesus said is that when he came, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven came to earth and begun, and the end times begun. Jesus has begun that. And so when we say an eschatological reversal, what we're getting at is this understanding of the kingdom as now and not yet. That it has begun that we are living in it, but at the same time, it hasn't come to fruition just yet. So Jesus coming to earth, putting on flesh, living a perfect sinless life, going to the cross, dying on the cross, resurrecting from the grave, ascending to heaven, that is the beginning of the end. And that's good news, not just for you and I, but for all of creation, And by Jesus coming, what Jesus did is he set into motion the end. 
And part of why the end is so important is because what Jesus is doing, this is where the reversal part comes into play. What Jesus is doing is he's reversing all of the curses that are upon us. So when God created the heavens and the earth and he created everything and he looked on creation at the end of Genesis chapter 2, what does he say? Does anybody know? It is very good. Not just good, it is very good, right? And then in Genesis 3, that's when sin enters the picture. And really, the word that you could use to summarize all that's going on in God's creation is the word that we say for peace. But in Hebrew, it's shalom. And the word behind shalom is really this idea of flourishing and delight. And so sin enters the picture and distorts and really kind of breaks that shalom. And what Jesus coming to earth does is he re- begins to reverse all of, that th- all of those things and all of that stuff. And he bre- begins to bring peace back into our world which really leads us to the other understanding of what blessed means. It's not only an eschatological reversal. It is a way of flourishing. Another way to understand blessedness or blessing is that it is a way of life. It is a set of values. It is a worldview. It's the way that you and I, if you follow Jesus, should view our world. One writer says this about the Beatitudes. He says, the Beatitudes are descriptions and commendations of the good life. As prophet and sage, Jesus is offering and inviting his hearers into the way of being in the world that will result in their true and full flourishing now and in the age to come. So what Jesus is getting at in every single one of these Beatitudes, in every single one of these statements, what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you want the good life, this is what the good life looks like. This is what it means to live in the good life. And Jesus begins by saying, listen, if you want the good life, the good life begins with what? Poverty. Now, in order to understand what Jesus says, what does he mean when he talks about it be us being poor in spirit? The question for you and I is, are you, am I, poor in spirit? Now, in order to understand the poor in spirit, I think what's important for us to recognize is that in the New Testament, underlying spiritual poverty is financial poverty. And we see this because in Matthew's account of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he gives all of these beatitudes, but Luke also provides us an account. They're a little bit different. And in Luke's gospel, listen, this is what Jesus says, Luke chapter 6, verse 20, blessed are you who are what? Poor. Not poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, I think what Luke is getting at, and I think what Matthew is getting at, and ultimately what Jesus is getting at, is that financial poverty often creates a dependence or trust upon God. If there's ever been a moment 
when you didn't know how you were going to meet a particular need in your life, all of a sudden, what are you beginning to do? A lot more. Pray, right? Because it's not up to you anymore. It's God, if this is going to get taken care of, I need you to come in and I need you to do something for me that I can't do for myself. But I think we've got to be cautious and careful because I don't think you have to be financially poor to be spiritually poor. I don't think that's what Jesus is necessarily getting at. What he's getting at is a dependence upon God. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit is to have spiritual poverty or spiritual bankruptcy. Now, what I don't mean is that there's some deficiency in you. But what I do mean is that there is a hunger and a dependence that you have for God. Because you recognize that when you look at yourself and you look at your life in light of God, you recognize that you're not God, that you're created, He's creator, and that the only way you're going to be able to survive is if you depend upon God. See, to be biblically blessed is to have confidence in and dependence on God. That is contrary to what it means to be culturally blessed. To be culturally blessed is to have a spiritual self-sufficiency. Now, maybe that's you, or maybe you've met somebody before who's spiritually self-sufficient. They don't need God, and they don't want God, because they can handle everything themselves. But Jesus is saying the poor in spirit, those are the ones who have a confidence in God because of what they know God to be, and because of the confidence, they have a dependence upon God. They have to rely on Him. I would encourage you, one of the things to do this week as you reflect on these Beatitudes is also go to Matthew chapter 23. There's an interesting parallel between Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 23, where in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, this is what it means to be blessed. This is what it means to have the good life. And in Matthew chapter 23, he delivers these seven woes to the Pharisees. It's almost saying this is the opposite. Here's what it means to be blessed. Here's what it means to not be blessed. And all of this, I think, led me to think about Luke chapter 18. Many of you might be familiar with this story. This is what it says. He says, he, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who did what? Trusted in themselves, a.k.a. had spiritual self-sufficiency. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the parable. Two men went up to, to, to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. A, a why? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The Pharisee, if you remember, these are the religious leaders. These are the people that follow the law to a T. And because of that, they're spiritually self-sufficient. Verse 13, but the tax collector, that is the ultimate sinner in Jesus' day, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. 
but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus gives some commentary in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I think this ties so closely to what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those are the ones who are humble and they receive the kingdom of God or they are the ones who are exalted. Now here's the challenge for you and I. I have a feeling that many of us are incredibly self-sufficient, right? I, I shared, I think it was in the 11 last week, where, you know, in, in one sense, selfish, self-sufficiency is such a good thing. I want my kids to be self-sufficient. I am training my kids up for a day when they will no longer live in my house. Amen? I'm, I'm working toward that, like that there's going to come a day when they don't have to live with me anymore, right? That's a good thing. But there is a danger for you and I in self-reliance. And if I'm being totally honest with you, I am in a very self-sufficient, self-reliant person to a fault where I will think about other people and I will say, you know what, I can take care of that myself. And do you know the danger in that is because when you begin to think about yourself in that light with other people, guess what you begin to think about God? I can take care of that myself. And Jesus in the Beatitude and in this parable is saying, listen, there is nothing that you can do in life by yourself. There should be no such thing as a Christian who is self-sufficient. A Christian should always be somebody who is completely dependent upon God. Jesus himself modeled for us what dependence upon the Father looks like. In the very last hours of his life, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's, it's him, it's his three closest disciples, his three closest disciples fall asleep. He's, he's moments away from being arrested, and he's praying to the Father, and he says this, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That prayer is a prayer of dependency. Because Jesus is acknowledging that in this moment, despite the fact that he is not only fully human, he is fully God, he is completely reliant and completely dependent upon the Father in this moment. And his dependence goes so far, not only to pray to the Father, but also to accept the Father's will. Did you catch that? Because Jesus, what Jesus wants in his humanity is to not go to the cross, but being fully God, he understands what the will of the Father is. 
And despite what that will might look like, Jesus is dependent upon God to say, I accept your will because I am dependent upon you, Father. And I think for you and I, this is where dependence becomes really the starting place for us. Our dependence begins with an awareness of the holiness of God and the depth of our sin. It truly begins there. There, There's really no other starting place because what that does for you and I is it reminds us who God is and it reminds us who we are. And it gives gives us a healthy vision of both our identity and God's identity. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah, is, is, uh, he receives a vision from the Lord and it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said what? What did the angel, what did the seraphim say? Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 14, because of all of this, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah sees a vision of God, and in that moment, he understands who God is. The character of God, that God is what? holy. And in understanding God's holiness, Isaiah then understands who he is. Verse 5, and I said, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. See, Dependence begins with understanding who God is and understanding who we are. And and honestly, if we're thinking about this as Christians, dependence begins in the moment when we recognize our need for the gospel. The good news of Jesus is that he came to earth, he is God, came to earth, put on flesh, lived that perfect sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. And you have to understand that. Because what did I say at the very beginning? God's favor and his kingdom is only given to us by grace through faith in Jesus. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. There's no way for you to clean yourself up for God to love you more. By the way, there's nothing you can do for God to love you less. God loves you. But our dependence begins on understanding that we can't save ourselves. That there's nothing we can do to get back to God. That's why repentance and faith is so important. Part of the reason we repent is we recognize God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we recognize that we are people of unclean lips. We're broken, sinful people in need of forgiveness, in need of healing, in need of restoration. 
When we repent, we walk away from that way we've been living. And in faith, when we look to Jesus on the cross, we recognize that that's complete dependence. When you look at Jesus on the cross and you recognize that I can do nothing but simply believe that he died for me, you're saying, God, I'm completely dependent upon you. There's nothing that I can do to save myself. And the dependence with which we're called to live our lives begins there. Now, the danger for many of us is in that moment of salvation, we depend upon God, but then we turn around and we become spiritually self-sufficient people. By the way, that's, that's me. We have to depend on God from the beginning to the end. Yes, we should be dependent upon God for our salvation, but by the way, we should be dependent upon God for our health. We should be dependent upon God for our finances. When we think about our children, we should be dependent upon God for them. We should be dependent upon God for our family. Our political world, by the way, we should be dependent upon God. When we look at the world affairs, we should be what? Dependent upon God. Our salvation in Jesus, by grace through faith, should teach us that not only our salvation, but every other aspect of life calls us to be dependent upon God. That there is nothing outside of God's control, outside of God's power. But by the way, almost everything is outside of our control and outside of our power. I hate that, by the way. But it's true. Which is why Jesus says in John chapter 15, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. But you, me, we are not the vine. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. I want us to say this together. Ready? One, two, three. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing is kind of, you know, all-encompassing. And Jesus is saying, even in this moment, and this is John chapter 15, is moments before the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's about ready to have this moment of utter dependence upon the Father, and right before Jesus has that moment of utter dependence, he's teaching his disciples to have utter dependence upon him. To say, listen, there is nothing that you can do apart from me. Any kind of work that you feel like God has called you to, any kind of responsibility that God has put in your life, you cannot do it apart from Him. And by the way, the moments when you feel self-sufficient or self-reliant and you think, man, look at what I'm doing, guess who's doing the work? God is. 
He says, be dependent upon him. So two questions I want you to think about this week is, number one, are you confident in the Lord? Because let me tell you, all of this begins with faith. All of it begins with whether or not you have confidence to depend upon the Lord. So you first have to ask yourself, am I in fact confident in the Lord? Do I really believe He is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do? Are you confident in the Lord? But then number two, how are you then going to be dependent upon the Lord? Think back on your life. Reflect on the week coming up and think about those areas that you take control of. We all have those areas where we're like, you know what, God, I really don't need you here. I got this one handled. And perhaps this week, because you trust and you're confident in God, give him these areas that you're self-reliant in. Are you confident in him? How are you going to depend on him? Now, we think about dependence, we think about poor in spirit, and maybe you're still thinking, why would anyone want to be poor in spirit? And Jesus tells us why. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Interesting to note that at the end of these Beatitudes, Jesus says the exact same thing. Verse 10, if you go and you look at verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins and Jesus ends these Beatitudes by saying, listen, if you start to live the good life, if this is the life and the vision that you have, the values that you want to live by, the worldview that you want to see the world through, you will have the kingdom of heaven. But in order to understand what this is, what is the kingdom of heaven, or what the other gospel writers call the kingdom of God, simply put, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is the sovereign rule and reign of God over everything. One author says it like this, I think it's just a fantastic way to think about the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is what the world looks like when King Jesus gets his way. Not when I get my way, not when you get your way, not when other people get their way, but when King Jesus gets his way, that's what the kingdom of God, that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And here's the thing, the spiritually poor, the spiritually bankrupt, the spiritually dependent upon God should want the kingdom of heaven. You should want that because you should want to live under God's rule. Why? Because you are confident in God's rule. You should want the kingdom of heaven. You should want the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're confident in God's ways. That when you look at the world's ways and you look at God's ways, you say, that's the way I want to live. That's the worldview that I want to live by. Those are the values that I align with. I mean, think about it like this. How many of you would join an organization that you disagree with? <laughs> right? You know, I want to be a part of those people, but I don't believe in anything they say. 
It doesn't make any sense, right? I, I tell people this all the time. Listen, if there's a part of vintage that you don't agree with, you probably shouldn't be a part of vintage church. Like, it's probably not going to work out. It's like going dating, and you and the other person you're dating fundamentally disagree about the point of life. Hey, let's get married. If you come to me for premarital counseling, I'm just going to tell you, don't get married, right? That's a bad idea. For you and I, if we follow God and we're dependent upon the Lord, and we say, this is the way God's ways work. This is the way God's rule and reign works. Why wouldn't we want his kingdom? Because what we're getting at is that God's rule and God's ways are the good life. The reason you and I, right now, in this moment, might not be living the good life is one of two things. We're either not dependent upon God, or number two, we're living in a broken, fallen world where the kingdom of God is at odds with our world. So the reason you're li not living the good life is not God's fault, by the way. It's either your fault, or it's the fact that we're living in a broken, sinful world that God is in the process of making right. We should want the kingdom of God. If we're dependent upon the Lord, it's what we want. Now, part of the kingdom of heaven is recognizing that we're still living in this now, not yet, flourishing. Despite evil, despite sin, despite brokenness, in this moment, right now, you and I, we can experience glimpses of God's kingdom. Yesterday, I experienced glimpses of God's kingdom. Being at Fill the Fridge and meeting practical needs. Part of God's kingdom. Because you know what? In the kingdom of God, people aren't going to be without. In the kingdom of God, every need that a person has is going to be satisfied. Yesterday, we're giving out food, and I just have random people coming up to me asking if I can pray for them. One lady I was praying for, her, her husband is the breadwinner of their family, and he's about ready to, be, uh, to have back surgery and be completely out of work, and she has no idea how they're going to make ends meet. In the kingdom of God, her husband's not going to need back surgery. See, in this moment, there are glimpses where you and I, we see the kingdom of God at work. And when we see those glimpses at work, we need to be reminded that, number one, God's kingdom is real, and those who experience God's kingdom are those who are dependent upon God. The ones that say, listen, I can't do this on my own. I, I am not self-sufficient. I am not self-reliant. It's going to require you, God, to come in and do something. Those are the ones, those are the people that experience God's kingdom. What we have to be reminded of is that when Jesus returns, and by the way, just a reminder, he will return. Everything will be made right. And everything that you and I want, the things that we want about the good life will come to fruition. You know, the things that we chase in life that we think are going to bring us peace and joy and happiness, those are just glimmers of what the kingdom of God truly is. You recognize that, right? Where it's like, man, if I just had that thing, or if I just had that relationship, or I just was able to do this, what you're really after is the kingdom of God. 
I, I, I think about it like this all the time. I love junk food. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It's been a while, but you know one of the things I've been thinking about lately are nutty bars. You ever had a nutty bar? They're like a little Debbie snack, and they come in packs of two, and they're chocolate and peanut butter wafers, and they are incredible. In high school, I used to eat these things like they were going out of style, and you know, now here we are, and this is why I go to the gym four days a week, and those sorts of things, try to eat healthier. I want to I admit to you, I've not had a Nutty Bar in a very long time, and I don't plan on eating a Nutty Bar, but I think about Nutty Bars. I know. I have a PhD, by the way. I think about Nutty Bars, and I'm like, man, I just, I really, I, I would, I'm craving a Nutty Bar. And then I remember, you know, the Nutty Bar is not going to satisfy. I'm going to eat that Nutty Bar, and as soon as I eat that dang thing, I'm going to immediately regret eating it. Because what I really want is filling food. Something that has substance. And you and I, when we think about the kingdom of God, when we think about all the other stuff that we might be chasing, at the end of the day, what, what God has put within us is this desire for the kingdom that nothing else can satisfy. We were created for the kingdom. It's just in this moment, we're wrestling with this now and not yet tension. Again, Jonathan Pennington in his book, The Sermon on the Mountain, Human Flourishing, he says this, and hang on to his words. He says, because the end has not yet come, human flourishing will only be experienced in a paradoxical way that combines loss, longing, suffering, and persecution. Anybody want those things? No, thank you. All of those things are combined with what? True happiness, joy, satisfaction, and peace. That's what we want. And in this moment, on this side of eternity, we wrestle with all the hard stuff because we also experience the good stuff but what Jesus reminds us is that for those of us who are dependent upon God, yes, we can experience the kingdom now, but a day will come when we will experience the kingdom of God in its fullness. That is the good life. And you can have the good life right now. One of the things that I want to challenge myself and our church in is to take this upcoming season of Lent very seriously. I, I don't think that there's anything uh, uniquely spiritual about the season of Lent. There's not something innate within those 40 days that's like, if you do this, it's a magical spell and poof, you're more dependent upon the Lord. I just think it's a unique time to be very intentional in that season. And so I really want to encourage you, you have about uh, a week and a half to begin thinking about how are you going to use this upcoming Lent season to grow and strengthen your dependence upon the Lord. We've got some things that I want to encourage you with that I want to tell you about that I want you to be a part of 
because I think that they will help you become more spiritually dependent upon the Lord. One thing that we're going to be doing starting in the season of Lent on the Thursday after Ash Wednesday, every Thursday during the season of Lent, we're going to have a corporate fast. So what that means is, is that Wednesday night, you eat dinner, and when you wake up Thursday, you skip breakfast, you skip lunch, and then you break that fast with dinner. And you use that time intentionally to seek the Lord, to pray to the Lord, to read Scripture, to meditate on God, to become more dependent upon Him. As a part of that corporate uh, fasting, we're going to have a corporate time of prayer. One of the things that we're going to do is every Sunday... This is for anybody. From 8.30 to 8.40 a.m. in here, we are just going to gather to pray. Nothing special, no music, just prayer. Then on the Thursdays when we fast, every Thursday from 11 to 11.30 a.m., we're going to virtually have a time of prayer. Now, I would encourage you, even if you can't make the virtual time of prayer, from 11 to 11.30, devote that time to seeking the Lord. We're also going to have a corporate devotional. A few years ago, Pastor Matthew Weaver and myself wrote a devotional called A Time to Return. And it was for Lent, and we're going to uh, repurpose that devotional, post those daily on our blog. And every Monday, I'm going to go live and share that devotional with you in the morning. Lastly, corporately serving. March 19th, April 16th, those are our two next Fill the Fridge events. And here's why I put those down, because... One of the things that we're going to do differently and more strategically, Pastor Brick talked about. We need more volunteers to meet some needs in some neighborhoods that we want to go visit and we want to be intentional with. These are just four distinct ways in this season of Lent to be more dependent upon the Lord. And my challenge to us is that we would take all of them serious. We would lean into them and God would use these means to make us more dependent upon Him. Each and every one of these things simply helps us foster dependence upon God. Life is good for the poor. Life is good for you and I. Because we recognize our spiritual poverty and our absolute dependence upon God. The two questions, again, that I could not encourage you enough to think about this week is, number one, are you confident in the Lord? You cannot be dependent upon the Lord if you are not confident in Him. And if you are confident in the Lord, then how are you going to depend on Him? Are you confident in Him? And are you depending on Him? Let's pray. Father, we love You. And we thank You so much, God, that You have showed us the good life. You've given us a vision for the way in which You want us to live Your life, and that life is utter and total dependence upon you. 
And so, Father, in, in this moment, as we respond to you and as we reflect on our dependence upon you, strengthen our faith and our dependence upon you. God, as we go into this season of Lent, may this be a season where we have never been more dependent. Grow us, Father. Help us now and in the age to come to experience your kingdom. We love you. We thank you that you love us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.